Good to see everyone this morning, all you smiling faces. Happy to be here. Um, we are going to pick up in John chapter 10 this morning. We finished chapter 9 last week, so today we're going to cover the first 21 verses of John chapter 10. This is uh, the beginning, or the I guess the entirety of the Good Shepherd Discourse is how Sproul titles this in his book. So John uh, chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever, come, all who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture." The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have life they may, that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling Flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. The other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and they will be, there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down with myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command you have received from my Father. This command I have received from my Father. Therefore there was a division among them and the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, He has a demon, and he is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time this morning. Again, Father, as we uh, hear from your word, uh, Father, we pray that you'll be our teacher this morning. We pray that uh, you'll give us eyes to see and ears to hear uh, truth from your word. And Father, we ask that you bless it uh, and bless our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So at the end of the last chapter, uh, we saw two different reactions to Jesus' healing of the man born blind. When the man himself, who was born blind, finally saw who Jesus was, he bowed in worship before him. If you remember, we, discussed, we read that last week. Now notice when he bowed down and worshiped Jesus. Notice that Jesus did not stop him from doing that. Jesus didn't say, no, get up, don't do that. We have no record of that because it didn't happen. Uh, this is significant uh, in our understanding of who Jesus is. 
that he would allow that. That he would allow that to happen. Uh, we know in uh, because over in Acts 14, we've studied the book of Acts. You remember when the people tried to worship Paul and Barnabas? What did they do? They stopped them, didn't they? And said, "No, get up! Don't do that. We're men just like you, right?" Well, Jesus did not stop the blind man because Jesus is not a man just like us, is he? He's not. As uh, for the Pharisees, uh, Jesus had no compliments for these people. Uh, the Pharisees did not worship Jesus because they couldn't even admit they were sinners. They didn't even admit their need for a Savior. They thought they were the set-apart ones. They rested in their own righteousness. They did not even acknowledge they needed any help. And so here it's at, it's at this point that uh, Jesus begins this discourse that focuses on now Himself as the shepherd and how He cares for His sheep as their Savior. Verses 1-3 through three says, Most assuredly I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So Jesus begins this illustration uh, with a contrast. And this first contrast is between one who enters the door of the sheepfold and then the one who climbs in over the, over the side, over the fences, and Sneaks in. Jesus says that those who sneak in, who don't come in by the door, by the by the door of the sheepfold, they are, he calls them robbers and thieves. But Jesus says the shepherd uses the door. That's what Jesus says. The shepherd uses the door of the sheepfold. Uh, some commentators say that Jesus, when he referred to robbers and thieves, were referring to false messiahs or even the devil himself. But I think to understand what he means by here, we have to just remember the broader context of where we are. Okay, These events come on the heels of this healing of the man born blind. And so uh, we have to remember that he's dealing still with the Pharisees. Um, Jesus was uh, Jesus was addressing those who God had called to be shepherds of the flock, the clergy of the day. It was it was them. It was they, the Pharisees, who just excommunicated this man born blind from the synagogue, re- completely rejecting him as a sheep of the flock of God. And so, here in this illustration, Jesus is calling the Pharisees. He's calling the clergy, the thieves. And the robbers. Those are some strong words from Jesus uh, to the Pharisees and the clergy of the day. Now Jesus, uh, through this, this Good Shepherd discourse, He is drawing an illustration from the sheep industry of the day. Okay, now we need to um, talk a little bit about that because in this time, sheep were cared for differently than they are today. In uh, those days, there, were, uh, there was one large central pen or a sheepfold in a given community. Okay, so that's, it, was a, it was a central place. And at the end of the day, uh, the people, the shepherds, would bring their small herds and they would lead them into the big sheepfold. Okay, that's, that's what they would do. And they would, sometimes, they would uh, combine their resources and they would hire a gatekeeper. 
And his job was to stay with the sheep at nighttime. In the morning, uh, the gatekeeper would open the gate and the true shepherds would enter by the door because they had every right to. They owned the sheep in the sheepfold. The sheep were theirs. Uh, And the gatekeeper was, after all, hired by them to do that. So they knew who the true shepherds were. The sheep at this point, because they'd been in the sheepfold all night, were all mixed together. Uh, And so in order to separate them, each shepherd would begin to call his own sheep. And the wonderful thing is the sheep recognized his voice. They recognized the voice of their shepherd and they would come to him where he called, when he called them. In fact, um, it's told we, we learn here that a good shepherd was so close to his sheep that he even would have names for each one of them. He would even call them by name. Uh, and they came and they followed because they knew him. That was the relationship of the shepherd and the sheep. Now, do, do you see any similarities as to why Jesus is using this as an illustration? We see several, don't we? We see several uh, similarities. Je- Jesus, when it comes to sheep and shepherd, Jesus uses this illustration over and over again, doesn't he? Uh, throughout the Gospels. We, this is a, a well-used uh, illustration. This teaches us a lot of things about Jesus. It teaches us that Christ Jesus himself knows each believer and each believer knows him and each believer recognizes his voice and each believer follows him. That's one thing we can take away from this illustration. Um, this, is, this also reminds us or reinforces us that this relationship is two-way. It's a two-way relationship. Okay, The sheep know the shepherd. The believers know Christ, but the shepherd also knows the sheep, and as well as Christ knows the sheep. The why is this two-way knowledge, this two-way relationship, so important? Well, if you remember, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warned. Okay, Jesus warned the people. Remember that day. It's the some of the most chilling words in Scripture, right? We've studied that in the past. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, what did Jesus say? Many are going to say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many wonders in your name? And then what's Jesus going to say? He's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. You who practice lawlessness. So it's... it. What Jesus is saying here, he's using this illustration here, uh, and that and the end of the Sermon on the Mount, you're not my sheep. That's what he's going to tell many people on that day. You're not my sheep. I don't know you. In uh, in this illustration of the sheepfold, this this one with the gate, right? It is, uh, and the way Jesus is teaching this, it is the Father who opens the gate to the shepherd. What is our application for that? Well, it's, the, it's who gives, who has given the elect to the Son? The Father has, hasn't He? He's given, He opens the gates of heaven and lets Christ bring in His sheep uh, to the safety of the fold, of the sheepfold. So we see this illustration and we see 
these players here in this illustration. We see the gatekeeper. We see uh, the shepherd and the different roles. Jesus continues here in verses uh, 4 through 6. He says, And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Now, there's a major difference, okay, in the way sheep are were tended in these times and in the way they are tended today and taken care of today. Uh, today, modern terms, right, uh, usually sheep are herded. Okay, They are usually herded most times by dogs, well-trained dogs who drive them where the shepherd wants them to go. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen a, a sheep dog work? It's actually really amazing that, that that dog, there's some instinct involved there, but there's some training, and it truly is amazing to watch. I've, I've seen it. I've seen them herd, even herd cows too, and it's, uh, it's really amazing to see that one dog do so much with hundreds of sheep. It's absolutely incredible. However, in this time, they were led. They were not driven. The sheep were not driven. They were led. The the shepherd went ahead of them and he led them with his voice. Now we, you know, well, I don't have sheep on our farm, but we have cows. And um, it's, if you ever try to drive a herd of cows, it's pretty difficult. By yourself. That's why we don't do it. That's why um, when I want the cows to follow me, I call them. And I lead them. And they follow me. If you don't believe me, come see it. They'll even... Now it's, it's interesting because I have been historically the one who, who does that. Well, now I have a farmer's son too, you know. And um, the first time I wanted him to, to call the cows and they... They didn't want to come initially because it's a different voice. I'm not, I'm not, this is real, okay? Yeah, they don't come, right? Because it's like, they don't know your voice. They, we have a certain call. I won't do it for you. I'll spare you off of that, okay? But, but they, they you're, are used to hearing it. And they hear my voice. And the one thing about it, what they know is when they hear me make that call, what does that mean? I'm going to green pastures. And guess what? That's what they want. Because that's the way God made them. And so they're excited. They're ready to go. All i got to do is call them. Now, the good thing is, after uh, Jace and I, we've done it together a lot of times, and so they kind of see me, and they hear Jace. Okay, well maybe this, maybe, I'll, maybe this is okay. Well guess what? Now they'll follow him too. When he calls, they follow Jace. So you see this wonderful imagery, right, of leading animals uh, to green pasture. Well, the, the, the shepherd, as Jesus is referring to himself, is the leader. And, and the shepherd uh, would go ahead, is what Jesus was saying, and he would lead the sheep with just his voice, not driving them. They, the sheep knew the shepherd and he was their leader. And if one would begin to stray off, he would just call it and come back. Now, that doesn't really work with cows a lot of times. 
Okay, if one, most of them stay together, they do pretty good. It's harder if one does get, especially a calf, and Miss Kathy, I know you know this, and sometimes you got to encourage them, but, but, but they do learn to follow each other, and they do learn to follow the shepherd. Uh, the sheep, as we've already talked about, they knew the voice of the shepherd and they didn't want to follow a stranger. Just like the first time Jay's tried to call our cows, they didn't want to follow him. Like, I don't know that voice. That's a strange voice. I'm not sure about that. Can I trust this voice? I don't know. I can trust the other voice because time and time again, he's called and what's been the result? Green pasture. That's what I want. I don't know if I can trust this new voice, but slowly, of course, they do learn to trust a new voice. It's at this point that Jesus changes the analogy a little bit. Verses 7 through 10. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Here is another one of the I am sayings. Do you remember? I am who I am. Those are these wonderful sayings of Jesus. And this time he says, I am the door. That wonderful I I am the door. So so first Jesus is saying that he's the shepherd. Right? That the gatekeeper opened the door for. Now he's he's saying, I'm not only the shepherd, I am the door. I'm also the door. Now the meaning uh, becomes clear as he is expounding upon this and he's, he, he talks about uh, being saved. Anyone who enters by me will be saved. What is he talking about? He's talking, if you, it is through him, it is through me, that salvation is found. Safety, security is found by going through me. Others, as he talks about the thieves, they've come to steal, to kill, to destroy. They have, these others have promised these things. They've promised that I can do all these things for you, but yet they were thieves and they were robbers. And their only intent was to, as Jesus says, to steal and to kill and destroy. In other words, these, these, other, these thieves and these robbers, they, they wanted to profit from the sheep and then just get rid of them. Make a quick profit and get rid of them. Jesus says, I didn't come to steal. I'm not a thief. I'm not a robber. I'm a true shepherd. I'm the door. He says, I have not come to steal. I've come to do what? To give life. And to give it more abundantly. And He makes it very clear that no one gets into the sheepfold except through Him. He is the door. He's the only way in to the sheepfold. Jesus continues in verses 11 through 15. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. 
I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Here's another one of our I am sayings. I am who I am. I am the good shepherd. Here, Jesus uses contrast again. He says, uh, I am uh, not, but not with the thief or the robber. Now he's contrasting himself with what? The hireling. One who is employed by the shepherds. or The hireling. He says, uh, of course, in this time, uh, some people would take care of their own sheep uh, and some would hire someone else to do it. And that's a common practice. But uh, since, since for the hireling, the hired help, they don't own the sheep. T- tending the sheep was just a job, right? I'm just punching a clock, right? Uh, really no ownership involved. I'm just a hired hand. And so the sheep did not receive the same care as they did uh, from the care from the true shepherd. We've, we've seen this. Uh, we have, uh, again, with when you have animals and livestock, when you, you can't just drop what you're doing and go on vacation, can you? All those who have that, you know this, right? You can't just, um, okay, today we're going to decide we're going to the beach next week for a week. That don't work when you have livestock, right? It does not work. You have to have someone to come in. It takes planning, and you've got to have someone to come in and watch the critters, to do chores, right, to do things. And even the best, uh, we have some good people to help us now. I don't know about the rest of you, but we have some really good folks to help us. But even the best, don't do it the same as the owners. Okay? Even the best. You know this. Nobody takes care of your kids like you do, right? No daycare or, or babysitter can ever take care of your children like you do, right? You, you, you're invested, right? It's, it's a whole completely different relationship. Well, Jesus is, is contrasting himself with the hireling. I'm not a hired hand, Jesus is saying. When the, the master of the flock, the one who owns the flock, owns the sheep, when he stands in the gap to protect them from the wolves and other predators, right? That's what Jesus says. He doesn't run off. When danger comes, he's not leaving because he's the owner. He's the master of the flock. He will stand and give his life if it's required to uh, uh, for the sheep. That's what Jesus is saying. If it's necessary, because I'm a good shepherd, that... If I have to lay down my life for the sheep, then I'll do it. The ones that are mine. Not so with a hired hand, right? Danger comes, he runs, he leaves the sheep completely defensiveness. Um, uh, hey, I'm just a paid guy. I, I'm not. It's not in it. This is too much for me. I'm out. Right when danger flees. In the illustration, uh, the hireling or the hired hand. <coughs> likely uh, represents the religious leaders of the day who perform their duty in good times when it's easy, um, but, when, but never really display the sacrificial care for the sheep in times of danger. Uh, they, again, can stand completely in contrast to Jesus who would lay down his life for his flock. Now, Dr. Sproul said that when using and talking about these illustrations, he said he would tell his congregation all the time, he would say, he, he would remind them that they are not his sheep, like the people of the church, right? They're God's sheep. He said, this flock here at their church in, in Orlando, you're not my sheep. 
your God sheep. And Christ is their good shepherd. And he would say, at best, I'm a good hireling. At best, right? He says, but that's all I'll ever be. A hireling. He says, I reminded them to look to no one but Christ who is their good shepherd. The one who will absolutely never let them down, never disappoint them, and never desert them. Now, the next verse, verse 16, is often uh, misinterpreted. I think we have a good understanding of this verse, but we'll let's read it together. Verse 16, because Jesus talks about other sheep. He says, And there's other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. So there are some who misinterpret this verse. Um, and there, and it's uh, it's almost a little bit laughable, but maybe not considering you know some people in this world. Uh, some people would say that after Jesus's earthly ministry here, that he went on to other planets and he continued his redemptive work among other planets in the galaxy, other sheep of other worlds, is how they would interpret that. That's a big stretch, right? We have absolutely nothing in scriptures that would support that. What 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 does the verse really mean here? It's a much simpler meaning, right? Because we know how the story ends, so we could have uh, we do have the advantage of, of perspective. But he was he was simply saying that, that that he had sheep that were not of the house of Israel. That's a simple statement here. He was he was talking about and referring to the expansion of the gospel that would happen after his uh, resurrection and his ascension, the expansion of the gospel beyond the borders of Israel to the entire world and to the Gentiles, the non-Israelites. So he was saying, I got sheep that are not of Israel. They are Gentiles. And the God the Father has given to me and they will come into the sheepfold and then they will be one body and not two. And that's what he was referring to. Verses 17 through 18, he says, Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it for me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Now why do you think he's spending some time talking about his power to lay down his life and take it up again? Who, who is Definitely there's a message for the sheep. Absolutely. There's a message for the sheep here, right? He's reminding. There's also a message for the thieves and robbers who are among him, right? Who are they right now? He's talking to the religious, to the Pharisees, right? What, what, are they, what are they behind the scenes plotting to do? Kill him, right? They want to kill him. And he knows that. He knows they're plotting. He knows that the conversations are happening in secret. Every time we have an interaction with him, they're trying to figure out how we're going to kill this guy. So he know, obviously he, he knows that. So here, Jesus is warning those people. He's warning each and every one of them. If they had ears to hear, they would hear him. 
He was warning to those already plotting to kill him. He was basically saying, you cannot take my life from me. I will give my life for the sheep, but you have absolutely no power over me unless I give it to you. Now this is the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. He's he's reminding these people who have the audacity, the arrogance to think they can actually kill Jesus. And he's reminding them, you have absolutely no power over me. It's also a good reminder that if, because God is the source of all power, if anybody has power in this world, it's because why? God has delegated it to them. Right? Any sort of power. But Jesus is the source and he's, he's saying, you can't take my life from me. You're going to try, but you can't even do it unless I allow you to do it. Remember, remember what happened on the night of his arrest. Remember, we find the account in Matthew 16. Do you remember when they came to arrest Jesus? One of his disciples drew a sword, didn't he? Remember? Uh, he was going to fight for Jesus. He was going to defend Jesus. But what did Jesus say? This is in Matthew 26, verses 52 through 54. He says, put your sword in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you not think, or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father and He will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? How then could the Scriptures be fulfilled that, it must, that, this, that, that this must happen? What, what is Jesus saying? He said, man, put your sword up. If... If I wanted out of this, look what I have at my disposal. Twelve legions of angels. All i got to do is ask. And they'll be right here. They will be here immediately. All I have to do is ask. I don't need the sword. I don't need your sword. Put it up. He, he, at any moment, okay, at any moment, Jesus could have stopped His execution. At any moment. He had the power to do it. Complete power to do it. They, if he would have called down 12 legions of angels, they had to come down at his command and they would have taken Jesus off the cross and they would have killed every enemy before him because of a word. But the Father had given the Son a cup to drink. And he would drink absolutely all of it, even down to the dregs. And Jesus says it's got to happen. Why does it have to happen? Because it's the fulfillment of the Scripture. Jesus is saying, it's been our plan before anything that was made. It's always been the plan. This is what's got to happen. It's, it's very important for us to remember that Jesus' death on the cross, the perfect sacrifice for our sins, was completely voluntary on His part. It was completely voluntary on His part. Pilate... Okay, Pilate had absolutely no authority over him. Caiaphas, same. No power over him. The Roman emperor himself, the the most uh, supreme ruler of the known world, had no power over Jesus. Jesus laid down his life voluntarily for his sheep in order that he would save his sheep from something far worse than the thieves and the robbers were seeking to do. Jesus was going to save His sheep from the wrath 
and the judgment of God. We know that uh, in the Old Testament there was a, a low point uh, in the life of the nation of Israel and God sent the prophet Ezekiel to announce these words to the people. We find them in the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. He says, And the word, of the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back that was driven away, nor sought that was lost. But with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. In that time when God looked at the corruption of the nation of Israel, who didn't He hold responsible here in this situation? He had strong words for the priest and the clergy, didn't He? He laid it at their feet. They had been taking, they had been devouring the sheep instead of, instead of taking care of them. The, the ones who had been charged to care for the flock had been eating the flock. Now fast forward to the end of John's Gospel that we'll get to, Lord willing, in our study, to the post-resurrection breakfast between Jesus and Peter. And y'all know this well. You remember this. You remember that they're out fishing. They've been fishing all night. And, and they look and they see someone on the shoreline and he's got a fire and they're not sure what's going on. And so they realize it's Jesus and they, they leave and Jesus serves them breakfast. Right, he's cooked fish over a bed of coals. I imagine that was just an amazing breakfast to have with Jesus. And after they had finished eating breakfast, you remember these, this encounter, this exchange between Jesus and Simon Peter. You remember these words. I'll read them for you. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And then he said to him, a second time. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him yet a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. We see this heart of our Savior. The shepherd, the good shepherd, and the sheep. Leaving this mission with the church. To feed my lambs. To feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. The the leaders of Israel had completely failed to do this. The Pharisees had completely failed to shepherd, shepherd the flock. In fact, they were doing the exact opposite. Like them in the church age, now that we're in, the leaders of the church are called to shepherd the flock. 
But all too often, we as leaders uh, would fail to shepherd as we should. For all of us, we need to remind ourselves to keep on, as, as, the, as what Sproul told to his congregation, to keep our eyes on Christ as the good shepherd. To keep our eyes on Him, our focus on Christ, because He is the one who has laid down His life for us. And He is the one who's taking care of us, the sheep. He is the one that is providing protection in the sheepfold. He is the one who is leading us to green pastures. He is the one who, when we hear His name, we, we hear Him, we respond. And He is the one who knows us. It's that two-way relationship. Wonderful illustration. Wonderful analogy from the heart of our Savior. He is, he is, he's revealing His heart. The heart of God. The very heart of God He's revealing to this in this tender relationship between a shepherd and the sheep. But also the, the stern relationship between a shepherd and the wolves. Right? Two different relationships here. He, this section ends verses 19 through 21. It says, Therefore there was a division among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, He has a demon and he is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? The Jews, once again, a completely mixed reaction to Jesus. So remember we've said this, Jesus divides. Okay, the name of Jesus divides. The person of Jesus divides. You're with Him or you, you love Him or you hate Him. You're with Him or you're against Him. There is no middle ground here. And we see this time and time again. Some of them charge Him He's possessed by a demon. Others said, absolutely. How can one who's possessed by a demon heal or open the eyes of a blind man? And they recognize that. Again, the, the division, we see it. The division around Jesus Any questions or comments? We do have a few minutes left in our time this morning. Okay, I'll pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our time this morning. Father, we thank you for this wonderful illustration as we hear from the heart of our Savior as he describes himself as the Good Shepherd. Father, and as the door. And Father, as your sheep, Father, we thank you for the way you look after us, the way you lead us by your word. Father, we just um, give you praise for the relationship, for knowing us, and for allowing us to know you. And Father, as we leave this time uh, together, Father, now as we, we move into a time of worship, Father, we as we as we as we leave here and we go into our sanctuary, Father, we know there's nothing special or anything about our sanctuary, Father, but we do know that when your people gather together corporately to worship you, it is a very special thing. Father, it's a sacred thing, and we just pray that as we whatever may be distracting us from the world, Father, we pray that you would remove that. We pray that we would just fall down at your altar this morning and worship you in spirit and in truth. And we, we pray for our pastor, Father. We thank you for him and his family and the leadership he gives to our church, Father. Father, we thank you that you, you speak boldly uh, through him Sunday in and Sunday out. Father, we pray that that will always be the case here at Lebanon. 
We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.